0: Well, I do invite you to turn to Galatians 4, chapter 4 uh, verse 4 through 5 is the couple of verses we're going to focus in on. We'll be referring to some of the uh, surrounding verses as well, but we'll just focus our reading upon this, these two verses that sum up for us the wonder of Christmas. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons may god bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning well i was looking at the hymn god rest ye merry gentlemen and i'd never really You know, as you do with hymns that are usually in a hymn book with music, I never noticed where the comma is in that first line. I always thought it was, God rest you, comma, merry gentlemen. But it's not. That's not where the comma is. The comma is, God rest ye, merry, comma, gentlemen. And it's an old hymn. It's written uh, in the 1500s. Uh, in england and what it actually means is god keep you god keep you merry god keep you merry gentlemen let nothing you dismay in other words he's hoping as we sing this we're hoping and praying that god would help us to remember the gospel and and for that to cause us to be merry god rest ye merry god keep you merry gentlemen let nothing you dismay remember this Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. We want to hear those tidings of comfort and joy from this wonderful couple of verses that we have in Galatians where uh, verses 4 and 5 sum up for us what Christmas is all about. God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And just as we sang earlier, indeed, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. And may that be true of us today. May we prepare room in our hearts for Christ, the one who has come, born of woman, born under the law to redeem us and adopt us into god's family now to know the joy of these verses we must get the background indicated by the very first word in verse four but it's a very important word it's only two letters in greek day but it means just what it says just in english we say it means a change in condition. We see here spelled out for us the human predicament in that word but because it refers us back to verse 3. We were in a certain condition but now there's a change and we are in a different condition. We were on the verge of bankruptcy but we won the lottery. That would be the way that we use that word but. So in verse 4, we're we're jumping into the middle of that discussion. If we have the joy of Christmas described in verse 4, what was the previous condition before the Son of God was sent forth? Verse 3 sums it up for us in, in a few words, a very important phrase. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now he's speaking here, of something that is true of everyone who is not trusting in the redemption purchased by Christ. They are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now what does that mean, the elementary principles of the world? Now that word, elementary principles is one word, uh, broadly speaking has two meanings. It's not used often. In fact, Paul uses it four times, twice here in Galatians 4, twice in Colossians 2. And then you see it in other uh, other places in uh, literature of the day. But the first thing that it means, generally speaking, is basic principles. The ABCs, uh, uh, you know, the, the addition, subtraction, the, the basic principles basic knowledge the 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 things that we would talk about well here's an example it's the word we use for what children learn at elementary school elementary the basics they learn their alphabet they learn the the basic facts of addition subtraction multiplication and so forth so these are basic principles and in this meaning paul is speaking of the law as the elementary principles this is what's been going on here in Galatians 3. He's been talking about God's law. If you go back just a page or so there, now before to Galatians 3:23, it says, and this is the beginning of the discussion we're in the middle of, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, he concludes this discussion talking about heirs and guardians and, and so forth. And he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. In other words, if, if a child's father dies and the father has specified a date when he is to receive uh, his full inheritance and it's far off, in the meantime, he's kept by guardians. And he has no say-so in anything until he reaches a certain age. And in that sense, he's, he's no different than a slave. He's got no, no say-so. He's got no authority until the time comes. So he's, he's just a slave, though he's actually owner of everything. But, verse 2, he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So he's looking at the law here. But look at verse 8. He picks up this same phrase again. Formerly, he's talking to the Galatians here, when you did not know God, they were pagans, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles, there's that word again, of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You see there the Galatians, verse 8, were uh, originally pagans. Then they became Christians through Paul's teaching. That's what he's referring to there in verse 9. You can read about that. as just a brief sentence in Acts chapter 16. But after Paul left on his missionary journey, he went to Galatia and Phrygia. Then he received the call to go to to, to the Macedonians, to Philippi and the surrounding cities. He left the Galatians and some people came in behind him, these people who they call Judaizers, and they said, yeah, Paul, he was well and good, but he didn't give you everything you needed to know. You need to actually become Jewish in order to be a true Christian. You need to start following all the ceremonial laws and so forth. And these men were coming in and teaching that you had to observe the days, the months, the seasons, the years in order to be a Christian. Now, when the Galatians were pagans, they worshipped false gods. And they observed pagan festivals that occurred at certain days and months and seasons and years. Now the Judaizers are coming in, and they're telling them that they have to observe days and months and seasons and years. Now the problem with observing these things is that Paul, or is that as Paul states in verse 10, there these elementary principles, these laws, are weak and worthless. These elementary principles are weak and worthless even god's law in a sense is weak and worthless And i'll explain that in a a second weak because the law has no power to save worthless because it has no wealth with which to bless us the law will only condemn you you cannot keep the law you cannot keep it perfectly or imperfectly. In fact, everybody here right now is probably breaking the law somehow or another. You've probably broken God's law in this service. One example, if you sang and your mind wandered and you're singing about God, and well, that's using the Lord's name in vain. You're picking it up to no purpose. You're saying empty words. That's using the Lord's name in vain. You've already broken the law. You can't keep it. It's impossible. The law only condemns you. Following rules to gain God's favor has no value because it's impossible. It's an an empty effort. And Paul says there in verse 3 that we're enslaved to that way of thinking. Thinking that, that following the rules is what saves me. And you can do that in many ways. You can follow, try to follow God's law, but the law will not save you. It will only condemn you. It was never designed to save you. That's not the purpose of it. Paul tells us its purpose is to be a tutor to lead us to Christ. It teaches us that we cannot save ourselves because when you try to keep the law, you see how hard it is that you can't do it. We can't perfectly obey its precepts. And what the law is meant to do is to force us to look outside of ourselves for salvation. We can't do it on our own. We need a Savior to cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness. That's what the law is trying to get us to do. Now there's a second basic meaning of this word elementary principles. Yes, it means the ABCs, the basics. The law, in a sense, is a basic to lead us to christ it's not the thing itself it's something that's there as a tutor for a time until christ comes but there's another meaning to this word elementary principles and it refers to the elemental spirits of the universe in fact some of your translations if you have a different translation they will translate this word elemental spirits of the world or of the universe that refers to the common pagan beliefs in the basic elements earth, fire, air, and water, or heavenly bodies such as the sun, moon, and the stars. Peace, people in those days worshipped those elements. And that's what Paul is referring to in verse 8. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Paul says their problem was that they were turning back to doing what they were doing before they were Christians. When you are pagans, you worship these elemental spirits, false gods, and the false gods, in order to worship them, you had to follow certain rites and ceremonies and, and certain, uh, observe certain days and months and seasons of the year. And now these Judaizers have come in and you're listening to them and you're doing exactly the same thing. Now, when you look at what he's written here in verses 8 through 10, there's a little bit of a problem because the Galatians were turning to God's law for salvation. How can Paul say that by relying on God's law for salvation, they were turning back again to enslavement to those who are not God's? And again, the reason is it's because it's the same principle behind it. Relying on religious observance, relying on good deeds to save you. Whether the good deeds are the ones prescribed by pagans or some other religion or whether the good deeds are the ones prescribed in the Ten Commandments. Either way, you're doomed to Failure you cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn your own salvation. Following the Ten Commandments to earn salvation is no more effective than sacrificing a child to Molech. They both result in condemnation. Neither one of them can save you. And you can list off any other religion in the world and all the rites and ceremonies that they put forward to try to attain salvation. There's only one way, and it's only in Christ. Keeping the law, keeping rules, being religious, all that results in condemnation. Now, don't get me wrong. The law of God is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But a shoe is not a hammer, right? Now, I bet anyone here who's ever nailed nailed a nail has at some time or another used a shoe to try to do it. And if we had a show of hands, a lot of people would be embarrassed, including myself. You've tried to, you know, you didn't have a hammer handy, so you had a shoe there, so you tried to bang the nail in with a a shoe. It doesn't work. Now, a shoe is a great thing. I love my shoes. And they're very useful, and they're very helpful when they're used as shoes, but not for hammering nails. And when you try to use a shoe to drive in a nail... What do you usually end up thinking? Man, I wish I had a hammer. It would be so much easier if I had a hammer. See, in the same way, the law is not meant to save you. The law is, is not meant to save you. It's meant to make you say, I need a savior. I need a savior. So Paul asks the Galatians, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves, whose slaves you want to be once more. See, there's a spiritual dimension here behind it all. Yes, we're talking about following, they're, they're going back to following God's law. They used to follow pagan laws. But either way, there's some evil spirits behind it. Yes, they were worshiping false gods, that's pretty blatantly. False idolatry, there's probably demons involved in that behind it. But there is a dimension here where Satan can use God's law. Satan can, and he does, he convinces people that they're good enough to merit salvation. Blinds their eyes. People think, I can be a good person I can follow a set of rules and I can be religious and that's all I need to do to get into heaven. If you think that, Satan has you blinded. You're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's the default mode of human thinking that my deeds will merit my salvation. And Paul's telling them, warning them, you're going back to that old way of thinking. Don't do that. The law is not meant to save you. But God has made to this human predicament that we find ourselves in and that we're tempted to go back into, because that's what the Galatians were Christians, they were tempted to think that way. And we as Christians today are tempted to think that way. But there is a divine provision that we need to be reminded of. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Now we see here God's plan. The fullness of time had come. That implies a plan. At the time when it was meant to happen, God sent forth his Son. God acted when the fullness of time arrived. Now my kids have always wanted to open their Christmas gifts on. They asked last night can we go ahead and open one of these gifts? Because they know what they're getting. And I always, you know, some people do that on Christmas Eve, and I have no problem with them doing it. Not them, my children, but other people doing it. I always was like, no way. Christmas morning is when we are opening the gifts. That's the appointed time. And we're not going to do anything until the appointed time. It's a plan, and I'm going to execute that plan. And we're not going to violate the plan in any way. Well, God has a plan. That's what it means. He had a plan to to enter history, to time and space, an allotted time that was just the right time that He had foreordained for Him to send forth His Son into the world. So God has a plan. and Isn't that wonderful? Things might seem dark and difficult and you don't understand. Why can't I open my presents on Christmas Eve? But God has a plan. You know, why is this happening to me? Why is... Why is my circumstances the circumstances that I have? If you're God's child, he has a plan. He always has a plan. He's never surprised. He always has a plan. So God takes action. He says God sent forth his son. Isn't that wonderful that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? And that's what he's talking about here god acting for our salvation see we don't save ourselves god could have if if we could save ourselves by law keeping then he didn't need to do any of this verse four stuff he could have just sent an angel or somebody down and say hey you bunch of losers work harder try more be better be good but no he sends his son into the world to do something for us And who came? God's agent, his son, born of woman, born under the law. Those are wonderful statements there. We're going to have to unpack that a bit. Born of woman, of course he was born of the Virgin Mary, but this is uh, referring to something broader, and it refers to his humanity. He was born of woman, which means he was born in a natural way. He was a human being. Yes, he's the son of God, God sent forth His Son, fully divine, but He was born. He was a baby in a manger. Uh, he had diapers and a mom and dad, and He was born in the natural way. God, agent, took on human flesh. And we sang, uh, O Come All you Faithful. When we sing, O Come All you Faithful, uh, it, it has a verse there, it says, God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. The writer of that hymn, uh, that Carol, had the, obviously had the Nicene Creed in his hand because that's what the Nicene Creed says. I've given it to you in your outline uh, on the section in the Nicene Creed that talks about Jesus, it says, uh, we believe in uh, one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Now, the reason that creed was written was to fight a heresy about the uh, humanity of Christ, the Arian heresy and one of the people that was purported to be there was saint nicholas saint nicholas uh, he became the patron saint of children and so when saint nicholas who lived in the 300s uh, you know he he was his day was december 6th his fast day was december 6th in the catholic church and and it was in Germany and the Netherlands that this idea that that St. Nicholas would come and bring gifts secretly to children uh, in the in that season. And that's where the idea of Santa Claus ultimately developed from St. Nicholas. Little is known of his life, but there is an account that Nicholas attended the Council of Nicaea in the summer of 325 when these words were written. And they were seeking to resolve the Arian controversy over the deity of Christ. The Arius and his followers denied the full divinity of the lord jesus he wasn't fully god and one story we have about saint nick was that uh when he was at the council of nicaea he was so upset at the way that arius's teaching degraded the lord jesus into a glorified creature that he punched arius right in the face good old saint nick not, not your mama Santa Claus. But he was uh, a, a person who upheld what's being said here. That he was born of woman. He was the son of God, but born of woman. And he was born under the law. He became a person born under the law. We're all born under the law. And that means that we are subject to the law. Subject to God's law. Everyone is subject to God's law, including Jesus. The difference between him and us is that he kept the law perfectly in every way, every moment of his life. There was not even one millisecond where he did not keep God's law perfectly. He, every moment of his life, in thought, word, and deed, in duties held up and avoiding sin... He completely kept God's law. He always loved his Father, his Heavenly Father, with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He always loved his neighbor as himself, constantly. He kept it perfectly from the time that he was born until the time that he was died. You think about uh, through his life, uh, even when he begins his ministry, he goes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been Commanded by God to preach repentance to the people of Israel. Everyone is to repent and and come and be baptized. To wash away their sins. And Christ submits to that law. Why did Christ? John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. But Jesus submits to the baptism to fulfill that law, that requirement that was for everyone. He fulfilled it. There were other things going on there, of course, in that uh, wonderful account, which we can't go into now. But even on the cross, for example, Jesus is, looks down uh, at his, his mother and John, and he makes the statement that, 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 that Mary is to basically be adopted by John. He's honoring his mother, even on the cross, fulfilling God's law. So every way, shape, and form he did that. And why did he do it? For us. He was born under the law so he could fulfill the law for us. And that's where you see the divine purpose here. The third thing He did this, sent the Son of God into the world, born of woman, born of the law, to redeem those of us who are under the law, who can't keep it. People who try to keep it and think that they're doing a pretty good job and that God's going to uh, be nice to them at the end. That's us. But He came and He did it for us. We don't have to do that. Try to earn God's favor by our law-keeping. He redeemed us. He, that's a term that talks about purchasing a slave, purchasing a person out of slavery. He's redeemed us. He's paid the price. He paid for our sins on the cross. He fulfilled all righteousness in our place in His life as our substitute so that we might receive the adoption as sons, to be brought into his family, to be welcomed in, to say, yes, you're my son. And he doesn't say daughters there, because in those days, daughters didn't have full rights. The only people who inherited were the sons. The daughters didn't get any inheritance. That's why they, the Bible uses this male language. It's not because it's, uh, you know, they're male chauvinist pigs making a statement a legal statement about our status we're we're adopted with full rights we're full heirs joint heirs with christ every spiritual privilege is is ours whether we're 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 men or women we're all adopted as sons and we couldn't do that ourselves it had to be done for us and that's why this verse sums up to us the joy of christmas Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth, receiver, king, let every heart prepare him room. Have you done that today? Have you prepared room in your heart for Christ? Are you resting upon his work? Or are you trying to go back to the elementary principles of the world? To, to work, 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 to try to earn God's favor. In however w- way that you think you should do that. No, you should turn to Christ. Rest upon him. Make room in your heart for him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the divine solution to our problems. And Lord, we pray that we would not look to human solutions to our greatest problem, our sin problem. Lord, we pray that you would convince us to cry out to you for mercy and to revel in the glory of the gospel. Lord, this message of with god and adoption as children redemp- redemption from our sins we pray that that would impress us this christmas season and that we would once again love you with all of our heart soul mind and strength and love our neighbors ourselves make us truly grateful this christmas season for all that you've done for us lord may we not be distracted by all the materialism and and holiday trappings that the world throws at us but may we rejoice in the gospel this christmas season even if it's for the first time especially then if it's for the first time and we pray all this in jesus name amen